Welcome to the Becoming Beautiful I Am podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Joan. As I continue to speak with you about the dream I call the dark night and the nuggets of wisdom that are embedded in it, I have a really important question to ask you. When was the last time you went into the basement and turned on the lights? Do you know where the basement is? Do you know what the light represents? I'm excited about today's show because we're going to touch on a few things, including where the basement is, who the basement dweller is, that pivotal character in my dream that actually didn't show up anywhere. We're going to talk about having compassion for ourselves, and in particular, the wounded self. We're also going to touch on binding dark shadows and releasing blessings into the life of the wounded self. I'm going to finish off by introducing you to a forgiveness process that I use to heal and free my clients to pursue their purpose and their destiny. So I'm being rather ambitious today, but I know if you can stick with me, (laughs) you really desire to heal. So hang on as we go for this ride. Sometimes it takes us years to see and know the things that we're supposed to see and know. (laughs) And I think that's because sometimes we don't actually know how God instructs us. We don't pay attention to our dreams. And even though I've had vivid dreams, um, the ones that I can remember happened much, much later in my life. I don't remember very much of the ones that happened when I was a child. So though I should have paid a lot of attention to the dark night, I didn't. Not until I wrote the book 490. And really, not until I started to tell you about the dream. Because of course, when we speak, that is when we learn about ourselves. And so as I've been speaking... I've had to do the deep dive and I've had to look more closely at God's instructions. And so if there's one thing that I can be so grateful for this podcast for is that it's allowing me to reflect on my dreams more deeply. And I have to say these beautiful, wonderful things have been happening in my life since I've started to look at the wisdom that is embedded there. Job 33, verse 15 and 16, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. It says this, In a dream, a vision of the night, one may hear God's voice. When deep sleep falls on men while slumbering upon the bed, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instructions. I love that because I think even as I revisit my dreams, And as I have been having more and more dreams, they open my ears, they open my eyes, and they give me instruction that now, only now, at this moment in time, am I ready to receive. And there's so much wisdom and instruction that is presented in the dark night. And wisdom, not only for myself, but for others too. 
But I want to draw your attention to a specific point in the dream. I don't want to start right at the beginning. I will get to all of the characters in the dream um, as I progressively move through the dream. But I kind of want to start sort of in the middle of the dream. This is the point where my husband and I, we have arrived at the home. It's splendid. It's marvelous. We feel like we're home. I certainly feel like I'm home. And the, the homeowner appears from kind of out of nowhere. She's elegant. She's dressed like a nurse. And uh, what she goes on to tell us is she won't be able to stay. She has to go and attend to some emergency at work. And um, she instructs us. She tells us, go on in and take a look around. You're going to love the place is what she has to say. And then she walks on and almost as an afterthought, she sends me a message in the dream. At first, it's kind of like a warning. She speaks about her brother living in the basement that usually she would clean up after him. But because she didn't have time to do that, she was suggesting, oh, you know, take a look around at the upstairs. But I wouldn't go into the basement, right? And it was almost like it was something like, you know, she would be embarrassed about us seeing the mess in the basement. But she was really telling me that I needed to revisit a moment that caused me a significant wound. So we go into the house. I'm pretty sure that we do. But the dream shifts. As soon as the intention to go into the house came, the dream shifted and all of a sudden, I was now walking on a dirt road. I was lost. I was tired and I was completely terrified. So what are the instructions that God is giving me? Well, go into the basement. <laughs> Amongst other things, he's going to take me into the basement and then he's going to teach me how to heal myself and how to heal others. So when we talk about the basement, psychology has actually, you know, grappled with this issue of the basement because I'm sure other people, you know, have dreams that talk about the basement. and. The basement represents our deepest, darkest thoughts. And you could say our emotions and our memories, right? But the basement points to problems that oftentimes we don't want to deal with. In fact, it could be memories that have been totally covered over so that we don't even have an awareness of how important they are. And in fact, sometimes it can be that we think about this almost every day, but we still don't connect the dots between our greatest wounds and this moment. We don't connect how significant it is for us. So the basement is an uncomfortable space. Um, and it's a situation or a memory that is so negative that really you can't forget it. So in the last few years, I've become aware of a pattern. 
Whenever I'm about to start something new or shortly after beginning that new thing, something dramatic and chaotic happens that takes me off track. And the best example I can think of is that in March of 2016, I started my ministry and I started helping people to heal with forgiveness. And just at the point where the business was picking up, my husband traveled to China and had a massive stroke right there in the airport. And you know, I don't really grieve this particular moment or period in my life because after returning from China, my spiritual eyes opened, I awakened, and I actually had my first vision. So I'm grateful for this particular moment, but there have been other moments in the past where whatever it is that comes sets me back sometimes for months and even years. And you know, even though I come back to what it is that I was doing in a more powerful way, I've always felt like there's this cosmic plan that's being played out. You know, and its entire purpose is to interfere or interrupt my destiny. You know, and I think a lot of us feel that way. Either there's something that's happening that blocks us from knowing our destiny, or it totally puts us off track. So I'm in this new season of life, both in terms of my personal life, my family life, my ministry. And I know that the Abrahamic covenant is unfolding before my very eyes. I know that those of us who are descendants of Africa are going to return to God. And that more importantly, well, not more importantly, but just as important, God's going to move us into the promised land. So one morning as I woke up from my sleep, I heard a voice speaking to me. And sometimes as I'm waking, I, I get these messages and they're almost like um, a foretelling. And so this particular voice, I recognize it was a voice of a good friend and she was sending me a message. And she said something like this, Joan, a big wave is coming. You're going to be hit in the head. But then she goes on and she says, but you're going to speak through it. You'll speak through it. You'll speak through it. And when a person says something three times, you know it's almost like a command. You're going to do this. It's firm. It's set in place. You're going to speak through it. And so I know by now that this spiritual warning is something that I can alter if I pray. You know, I want to avert the wave altogether. I don't want to be hit in the head. I don't want to speak through it. I want to avoid this altogether. So I begin to pay attention and then I begin to pray and I begin to ask God to shift things. So it was this warning from my friend that actually inspired me to go into the basement. About a day after I received her warning, I sat on my couch and I crafted a question. A question went something like this, Lord, what is the wave all about? Show me. So I closed my eyes 
and I began to revisit the place where I know the wave began some 30 years ago. I am 10 years old and it is one week before we migrate to Canada. My mother had left uh, for seven years earlier and we were finally going to join her. So I want to take you into this memory. Come with me. So we're in Jamaica in a rural part of the island. It's a rural area in Westmoreland and we're walking down a rather narrow country road. And there's a banking on the right-hand side, and then there are, it's like a cane field on the left-hand side. And we are, are just returning from my aunt's house. We've gone for a visit, and we've been talking about the trip that is coming. And so we're all brimming to overflowing with excitement about this new move, transition into new territory. So my brother and I are walking ahead of the others and we notice a car that's coming in our direction and we draw close to the banking. So in Jamaica, cars drive on the left-hand side of the road and we watch the car come closer and we prepare for it to pass. And even though it should have continued without an incident, the drunken driver kept his eyes on us versus the direction he wanted to go and the car came close and it struck my brother and he fell to the ground and he immediately lost consciousness. And I'm thinking to myself, he's dead. I start screaming, no, my brother, don't die, don't die, don't die. And I say it like three times. And I think I put something out in the atmosphere and it was like a command <laughs> that he had to listen to. So in my time of meditation, I stand in this place as an observer and I look around and I process all that has happened here. You know, the scene is dark and I know there's three of us. There's me screaming in total distress and horror, just completely terrified. There's my brother who's laying unconscious on the ground. And then there's a car. No, not the driver, but the car. This is where the wave began. So in my meditative visualization, I noticed there's a shift and I noticed that now I've entered a vision. So I'm no longer controlling what is presented to me. I'm brought back to the majestic house in my dream, the dark night. And this house is not gigantic, but it's majestic, both in terms of its design and the light that is all around it and that emanates from within it. So the thing though is while I'm here, I know what the visit is going to be all about, right? I know that I want to visit the place that I was told not to visit by the woman in the dream. I'm going down to the basement and not only that, I'm going to clean it. And just as soon as I have that thought, 
I am in the basement with a broom in one hand, a duster in the other hand, and even I have a handkerchief on my head. And I begin to notice the light in this place. It's a bright glow, a warm glow of kind of like a brownish orange tinge, something you would see in one of those storybooks that you absolutely love. And I notice the basement is partially finished. So as I'm going down the stairs, I'm noticing that to the right, there's a living room. And, but off to my left, there's an unfinished area, right? So I'm seeing all the elements of this basement. I see the two by four studs that are on the outer wall. And I notice that, you know, these horizontal studs, which are used for reinforcement, that they're now being used as shelves and on the shelves are trinkets and jars. So I set down my broom and I decide, well, I'm gonna dust first. So I make my way around the room. The light begins to dim a little bit in some areas and I enter one of the darkened corners and I notice that there's children laughing there. In fact, as I go closer, I see their faces and then their bodies and their laughter, their chuckle, their giggle greets me. Um, and then I notice who they are. It's my 10 year old self, my brother, he's eight, my twin sister and our best friend. And so I say to them, what are you guys doing down here? Go on upstairs, go outside. It's beautiful out there. There's so much space. And as soon as I release them, they run, they giggle, and they go upstairs. I continue dusting, and I make sure that I clean every nook and every cranny. And then in another corner, sitting on their veranda, I found my grandmother and my grandfather. And it was then that I realized how much they had suffered that day. It was then that I realized that they needed healing too. Not only did they face this trauma with me, but shortly after that, my sister and I would say our goodbyes and we would come to live with my mother and my brother, would he would continue to be healed in the hospital and he would follow shortly after. But it was our goodbyes. It was our goodbyes that was covered in darkness. And that was what I was regretting as I was speaking with them in the basement. I thanked them for being present in the basement with me. I thanked them for all they had done for me. I thanked them and I released them too. And even after I met my grandmother and my grandfather and released them, I continued dusting. And then I came upon the basement dweller. A part of myself I had left behind. The 10 year old self I called the screamer. And it was like she was frozen in time. She stood there with her eyes wide open as she released this timeless, I mean timeless scream. The scream was so piercing it hurt my ears. And I tried calling to her, but the spirit of fear and horror and terror had captured her full, I mean, full and complete attention. I tried touching her, nothing. 
No response. She just continued screaming. And then finally, I picked her up in my arms and I held her really, really tight. And the screaming continued for what seemed like forever. And then something within me spoke of her need for compassion. Yeah, it was like, it was within me. And I was like, she needs a hug. She needs to be understood. Step into her shoes. Understand exactly what she is experiencing. And once you understand her, you'll be able to speak to her. And so I held her and I held her tight. And so as I thought about reaching her, I thought about what do I need to say to her in order for her to not only hear my voice, but calm down. And I began to say things like, Joan, it's okay. You know, ever so softly. Everything is okay now, Joan. You know, I am, I'm whispering in her ears and I'm saying, Jason is okay. He survived. We went to Canada. He got married. He has three children now. Two of them are not even as old as you are. June is okay. I'm okay. You're okay, Joan. You're okay. You're okay. And as I whispered these soft words into her ears, the screams slowly subsided. And then it turned into a quiet sob. And then something in my spirit told me to do something else. I was like, I gotta pray for her. I gotta pray for her. So as I held her in my arms, I began to speak these words over her. I bind the spirit of fear and I loose the spirit of power, love and sound mind. I bind the spirit of lies and I loose the spirit of truth because I wanted her to know what she was missing. I wanted her to know the truth about what had happened. I bind the spirit of heaviness. I want to get rid of the sobbing and the despair. I loose the comforter, the garment of praise and the oil of joy. I pour it all over you. I bind the spirit of bondage and I loose the spirit of liberty. You know, it was like bondage. It was like jail. It was like prison to be in that basement and in that scream. And I wanted to liberate her. I bind the spirit of death and I loose the spirit of life and resurrection. Christ had told me that I died there and I believed it. I was stuck there in this scream. And so I wanted my wounded self to be freed. And we're freed by the spirit of life that is Jesus Christ. And, and through his resurrection, we become resurrected again. We breathe new life into ourselves as we heal. I bind the spirit of deprivation. You know, that spirit of discouragement, that spirit of self-hatred and self-loathing. I bind it and I liberate you and I loose into your life prosperity and abundance. And so as I began to say all of that, as if it wasn't enough, this song came forward. It's a song uh, called The Blessings um, by Elevation Worship. And so the song came into my mind and I began to say the words. I didn't sing the song. I just said the word, the Lord bless you, Joan, and keep you. 
make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. May his favor be upon you for thousands of generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. And may his presence go before you and be behind you and beside you and around you and within you. And then I whispered, he is with you, Joan. God is with you. And it was like something powerful happened. Just like that, she disappeared out of my arms. And then the next time I saw her, I heard her footsteps. And then I watched her as she went up the stairs. And I heard her as she laughed and she giggled like the other part of myself that was hidden in the corner. And what I want to say is the Lord could not have given me a more beautiful healing experience. And then it continued. Just as I was about to leave the basement, I noticed a crawl space. And even though I felt I had achieved what I came down there to do, I was determined to clean every part of this basement. So I got on my knees and at some points I was on my belly and I started to clean the crawl space. And as I crawled along, I noticed there was a light coming from under a board that was just like at the edge of the basement, the wall to the outdoors. And then all of a sudden the vision shifted and suddenly I was outside in the middle of a cornfield. I mean, like completely surrounded by corn. And the corn was taller than I was. Um, it was mature, it was ready for harvest. So some of it was even breaking out of the husk, you know, and I could see the bright golden yellow um, corn and, you know, the green husk, it was such a beautiful green. And then it was like someone took a gigantic reaping instrument and then suddenly they harvested in this perfectly round circle they harvest all the corn that was around me and it was like the corn fell and was just laying there in the fields in this perfectly round circle the heavenly father the great farmer was present with me and so as the corn laid there in a pile in this circle I began to notice everything that was around me. The sky was this perfect blue color. There wasn't a cloud in the sky and the sun was just streaming down on me and the corn in this beautiful field. It was absolutely stunning and it was overwhelming at the same time. The house was gone <laughs> and I stood in this corn field and I looked and it went on for miles and miles and miles in every direction. And then as the vision ended, you know, this big smile comes across my face and a realization. It's harvest time. <laughs> I'm ready to go into new territory. The screamer is healed. The basement dweller is healed. And I'm on solid ground. Nowhere close is the ocean. No wave is going to come my way as I move into new territory.
So the basement dweller is real, but not at all as we might think. What we see is a really complicated character that actually is multiple people that were associated with the event, and in fact, multiple parts of ourselves. And beyond that, there are these spiritual elements, we call them shadows or spirits of darkness, that are present that I didn't even touch on, but you heard me pray about them. So the wounded self, in this case, the screamer who grabs most of our attention, is anxious and depressed and grieved and isolated and wary. That's, that's, you know, when you're in that state of screaming for so long, there's a weariness and a despair that goes along with that. I'm feeling it even right now as I think back on seeing her scream. I'm also feeling the despair kind of like in my lower abdomen area. And so the screamer is present um, in this particular vision um, and makes it very obvious. But um, you might also experience other elements of the wound itself. So when we become afraid, um, we, we have three responses. Um, the first response is to run. Well, any one of the responses can happen. But, you know, one of the first things that comes to mind is we run whenever we're feeling afraid or feeling terrorized or in horror. One of the things that we do is we run. So you don't have to go into the basement and see a screamer. Um, what you can see is a child who is running. Um, and so for that child, compassion would look like standing in front of them. And even if they try to go around you, then you block them again. And you block them until they stop running, until you can then actually scoop them up in your arms and then speak into their hearts. The other uh, that you will experience is a fighter. So the fist is going, the mouth is going, the legs are going. Um, they're simply trying to survive. And for that child, rather than meet them head on, you might go from behind. You might grab them from behind, lift them up until they reach that point of exhaustion and they won't fight with you anymore. And so you simply hold them and, again, speak softly into their, into their ears, their minds, their heart, their spirit. That's what we're doing. We're pouring in compassion. We're pouring in love in order for that child to heal. And then, of course, there is the freezing response. And that's what you saw. You saw the freezing. Um, and I might have called it, um, I might have called it uh, something else before. But until I saw myself in that moment, like I might have visualized myself before as a fighter. But when I saw myself in that moment, I understood that I'm a freezer. And, and I see that now. When I'm afraid, I just don't move forward. And so um, in those moments when I'm supposed to step into new territory and, and the screamer is taking hold, what happens is I don't actually move in the direction that I should go. And so as we heal, 
what we're doing is we're seeing ourselves, we're seeing the way that fear shows up, and then we have the power to do something about it. So, but then notice the other parts of self that are present. Notice the young children, the playful self, the self who wants to interact with friends, the self who, who actually enjoys laughing and giggling, right? I love to laugh. I love to giggle. You'll hear that all through the podcast. But one of the things that through this whole processing of this basement that I've come to realize is that there were definitely times when I held myself back from, you know, being that friend that I could be, you know, interacting at the level that I could. There was always that fear of that. So, you know, we heal with compassion in all circumstances. So for the screamer, we heal with the prayer. But for the other parts of ourselves, we release, you know, we give permission, we just say go. And then you notice they just go, they just want the word and they're gone. But then in the basement are some of those people who are foundational to our survival. And, you know, in the basement, I noticed my grandmother and my grandfather. And for the first time, I truly understand from their perspective what they would have experienced. You know, the idea that they had to let us go, but it the letting go and the goodbye didn't happen in this beautiful way that it should have. It would happen in the midst of chaos. And so I don't even remember uh, the goodbye with my grandmother. I just don't. And so as we begin to see all of these characters, um, then we begin to see also some other truths, right? So where we focus is our destination. Um, so the screamer is focused on fear. The screamer is focused on the car. Um, so, you know, in the same way that that driver of that car, he should have been looking straight ahead, right? But became focused on us. And because of where he was looking, that's where he came. And that's, that's why he collided with my brother. So if he had kept his eyes on the road, instead of us, he would have en ended up driving on. So my screaming was this subconscious call. Um, you know, it's kind of like this piercing thing that goes out, and it calls in the chaos. You know, as much as he was focused on us and drove into my brother, now I'm focused on the fear. And what I call in continually is the spirit of fear. And what I want to say is this, there's a patterned way in which we can be attacked by the shadows of darkness or what we call spirits of darkness, right? So they dive into our fears and they use these moments and they attach them to us. One of the things that uh, Francis Frankopane, uh, F-R-A-N-G-I-P-A-N-E, he wrote the book, The Three Battlegrounds. And one of the things he talks about is the fact that we do battle in these three territories, the, the mind, uh, the church, and in the heavenly realm. Um, but he also talks about the fact that uh, Satan, demons, they are there to sift us, right? So our experiences really are about sifting us. Who are we really? And so these experiences that we have, the fears that are there, draw them in until we get to the point of healing where there's love. 
So then the darkness cannot press in. And then especially if we become aware of the patterns in thought, speech, and behavior that is attached to this moment in time and the fear that is kindled there. Once we're aware of it, we have the power then to say those prayers and bind those those shadows and those dark elements, and then instead release prosperity and abundance, the harvest into our lives, right? And enter the new territory without fear. So um, in the dream, you notice the corn and the harvest. And, um, you know, that was really God taking over and showing me in a very real way uh, what he has in mind for me. So there's a gentleman named Joshua Oreke. Um, he's the author of the Bible, Biblical Dream Interpretations with Warfare Prayers. He's also on YouTube, so check him out. Um, but he talks about the biblical meaning of seeing corn, right? The corn uh, in a dream represents divine favor. Um, it's a reminder of God's promises and so much more. And especially when you're expectantly moving into new territory, it usually represents a fulfillment of that destiny. And so um, it can also represent, you know, like if it is a new season, it, it can also represent that new season, that new beginning, um, success is here. Um, and so we're now attracting heavenly, heavenly blessings as opposed to the screamer who is attracting the wave and the chaos that came with that accident. So dreams are so powerful. They move us into a place where we see into the spiritual what God has in mind for us. And then by faith, we pull it into the natural, right? Um, but by faith, that, that is the key. So in the basement, um, there wasn't an entity that I could see, but I knew it was present. And this is what we call the darkness or the shadows, right? So after we notice the wound, we have to also notice the shadows in the room, you know? So we call them shadows, but I don't want to play games with you. I'm talking about spirits of darkness. I'm talking about principalities. I'm talking about demons, right? These spirits of darkness prevent us from experiencing God and walking in the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And their ultimate goal is to ensure that we don't experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit, because once we do, then we have the power to fulfill our destiny. So in the basement, you'll notice me when I am talking about, um, for example, I bind the spirit of fear and I lose the spirit of power, love, and sound mind. This is coming out of uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, I believe it is, where God is saying we have not been given, well, Paul is saying we have not been given a spirit of fear, but we have been given a spirit of power, love, and sound mind. So we are always um, binding the spirit of fear and any spirits of darkness that can come against us. And what we lose instead is an opposing force. The opposing force then is power, love, and of course, sound mind. So you'll notice that I was speaking about the spirit of fear, the spirit of heaviness, the spirit of deprivation, the spirit of bondage, the spirit of lies. And so the reason why I was even focused on lies is because sometimes when we're stuck in a moment, 
we believe the lies of the past. We don't believe the truth of the present. And so I was releasing the spirit of truth into her life and the spirit of death, right? The spirit of life is the opposing force, the spirit of life that raised Jesus Christ, resurrected him after his death. Each of us in these moments, when we become frozen, when we became stuck in this time, really we've had a death experience, a spiritual death experience. And so we need to now come back to life. And so this is what this is what we do as we pray. So I won't have time to actually move us through the forgiveness. So I'm going to create a part two to this episode. And in the next episode, we are actually going to um, look more closely at the screamer and we're going to forgive her. But as we forgive her, there are four questions that we're going to be asking. And the four questions look like this. What did I want from the screamer? And what did I get instead? How did I feel? How does the screamer feel? How do I feel experiencing the screamer? And what do I know about the screamer that would help me understand why she's stuck frozen in time? And so we're going to address some of those questions. But as we do every forgiveness, we also need to pray in a particular way. And I've got an acronym. It's not a pretty acronym. It's called FLAB. Yeah, FLAB. <laughs> and it's actually based on a passage of scripture that comes out of Matthew 18, verse 18 to 22. Um, and so the acronym means this, forgive, loose, agree, and bind. And I'm going to go into what all of that means and why it's so essential that we pray in this way as we forgive. So watch out for the next segment. I should be able to get that done over the next couple of days. Um, and so it should be out to you, hopefully, hopefully before the weekend. So um, as we uh, move through the process of healing, um, there are so many powerful things that we're looking at. Um, and as I end, I just kind of want to review what we covered because we didn't cover it all. Like I, I did say I was being rather ambitious at the very beginning of this podcast. And now I know. Um, so we have talked about uh, the basement dweller and the complexity of that character. Um, we have also touched on the fact that there are aspects of the basement dweller that don't actually show up. These dark, these dark shadows, these spirits of darkness that we need to attend to. And most importantly, that we have to have compassion for the self that is wounded, um, the self that is in that place of running or the place of fighting or the place of being frozen. And as we have compassion for that self and pour into that self, new spirit, spiritual, let's say, power um, and, and strength that they heal and that they go off and just grow up very quickly. Um, and so as we go into the next segment, I am going to talk to you about that flab um, process that we're going to use. And I'm going to um, then introduce you more fully to the forgiveness process and why specifically I need to forgive the screamer. So I'm going to leave it here. Um, 
for this segment. Thank you so much for listening to the Becoming Beautiful I Am podcast. I am your host, Dr. Joan Samuels-Dennis. Please send me an email, send me a comment right here on Anchor or Spotify or anywhere else that you're listening to this podcast and just let me know what your thoughts are, um, how it's impacted you, and I would love to hear from you. Uh, You can reach me at connect at drjoan.ca and on Instagram, I'm at becoming333 or worldpeace2021. And on LinkedIn, you can search for my name, Joan Samuels Dennis, that's hyphenated, uh, S-A-M-U-E-L-S hyphen D-E-N-N-I-S R-N-P-H-D. So until next time, rise, forgive, and live fearlessly.